Hey, welcome to a brand new episode of the Strap Show Podcast. I am your host, Calvin, and it is a great season so far, y'all. We have been having so much fun on the show. Uh, if you've been listening, this is our final season. Uh, we've had some phenomenal guests and uh, some great stories, some great information given to us. And uh, it's, some, it's some of these stories that we have to come back and revisit and some of our guests. And today's guest is no different. Uh, she is a good friend of mine. She is one of the I would say one of the hardest working people I know because she has so many hats. She's a mom, she's a wife, uh, and she is Obedaga. I said it right? I hope so. Abogada. Uh, Abogada. There we go. My Spanish is a little rusty. But today's guest today, she is uh, the attorney, the one and only Cynthia Santiago. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me, inviting me again. Yeah. And like I said, I told her, I said, you know what? This is our last season. And I got to have my sister on the show because, like, I love people who give back to the community. And Cynthia's story is she is someone that does it effortlessly and unselfishly because you give so much vital information to the community. And we're going to talk, this whole episode is about immigration and kind of getting you all up to speak what you should know uh, and how you can contact Cynthia uh, and should you have any more questions. But without further ado, once again, my sister, thank you so much once again. Uh, for coming on our show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. Um, I really love, 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 love informing people about yeah. Karen and what's going on. Mm-hmm. And and like I said, y'all, she does this so much. She does it so well that I don't see how you sleep because you, I, I don't, because when I, when I see you on social media, you're always going, you're always doing something. It's like, you know, she's a hard worker at night, but then she's a mom. Like, first off, tell people who you are and where you're from and what you do. Yeah, so I grew up in the, I grew up in Los Angeles. Um, I am the proud daughter of immigrants of Mexico and Guatemala. My dad is specifically from a place in Mexico called Oaxaca. Um, recently, it was all over the news when um, the, you know, council members were talking down about people from Oaxaca. So I say it proudly all the time. Anytime I can introduce myself, I can meet people. I always recognize my roots, especially because I I have indigenous Mexican Oaxacan roots. And I am um, extremely um, proud that I grew up with that information, that knowledge where I come from. My parents did not um, shield us from hard information from news from um people coming to our house and staying and had recently migrated to the country and they were just living we lived in a one-bedroom apartment but my parents had people you know in our living room just giving people an opportunity because they were just new to the country so i um really do appreciate my upbringings uh, as humble and as a struggle we had growing up I always recognized that, um, you know, there was a brighter day, there was hope. And uh, at the age of nine, I experienced the wrongful incarceration of my older brother. He was um, 18 years old. He was a dad at that point, And he was, um, you know, involved in the street life. But unfortunately, this event, he was not involved in this event. The community knew he was not involved. But because of the way we grow up in certain neighborhoods, you cannot snitch on somebody without facing repercussions. So my brother um, went ahead and, you know, was um, 
in a case involved in a trial with um, two other co-defendants. And unfortunately, um, they were found guilty with just eyewitness, um, which was mistaken eyewitness evidence that it was in the nighttime, it was super dark, it was foggy that night. But, you know, at the end of the day, these things happen in our justice system. We shouldn't be, um, you know, they're they're not right. And, and we shouldn't just accept them as things that happen. But for me, it was my call to action. For me, it was like, I don't want anybody else, any other families to go through this. And I was like, I'm going to be an attorney one day. I'm going to represent people like us who can't afford, you know, tens and thousands of dollars in defense. I think my parents were quoted upwards of thirty to $1,000 for a trial. So we really um, made this uh, a moment of pain turn into triumph, and we we worked our our um, our our time to be able to um, visit him and to be hopeful and and see him through. Um, so that was my experience, and that's why I became an attorney. I've been an attorney for ten years, immigration and criminal law. Yeah, and yeah, she is definitely. It's. I think I relate to you because it's kind of one of the reasons why I got into news and media because, you know, it was stories about people like me that they, their voices weren't being heard. And that's kind of why I think I relate to you because we saw our upbringing and we say, you know what, we're going to make a difference. Like, we're going to make sure that wherever we go, we'll take our people with us. And I think that you've done that so well because she has been taking herself all across the world. And I'm pretty sure some of y'all, if y'all listen to this, some of y'all have may seen the Cynthia Santiago van traveling up and down the world. And that's something special about immigration lawyers that I didn't know that, can you tell us about immigration lawyers that you're not just held to the area you are in right now? Like, tell us about that. Yeah, so with immigration law being federal law, this is a federal system, um, we are able, if you are licensed in one state, you're able to practice immigration law only in other states. And so when I first started my office in 2012, some of the first calls I got were from people that my parents knew from back in their um, villages and their pueblos. And so, um, you know, for example, there was a family who lived in Rhode Island, but their sister and they're undocumented, their sister um, was detained and being detained in a Louisiana immigration prison and immigration jail. So I was able from LA to help represent her and get her bond. And then um, I even flew out to Louisiana, rented a car. We drove her up to see her family just because we didn't want her to have to experience also like the airport and being on her own. She didn't, she doesn't speak Spanish. She spoke uh, indigenous language. So, so that opened up my eyes to know that my work could be done from LA and I could get people out released in other states and back to their family in another state. And really that's um, what has motivated me to always be on the go with the immigration work that I do. And like, and she's full of knowledge. Like she is educating me right now because I lived in Louisiana for the first 28 years of my life. And I never knew that we had an immigration jail in Louisiana. Wow. I did not know this. Wow. The, The, privatization of prisons, of um, immigration centers has become a very, it's been booming for, you know, these companies, um, GEO and Civic Corps. And so they go to places where it's very cheap 
to build and there's a lot of land. And so, for example, they're in like remote areas. They're providing, um, you know, jobs for the people in that immediate community. But that also is kind of like a sense of like distancing people from where the help is, where the resources are. Most resources for legal support are in big cities. So it's really, um, it's sad because in one respect, yes, there's like jobs for all these people that unfortunately don't have a lot of opportunity, but then they're being pit against new migrants. They're being pit against these individuals that are coming here for an opportunity. And so it is very, um, it's a, a very kind of pervasive system of like, you know, using people that are in a, a very um, vulnerable place and continuing to, these companies are making millions and billions of dollars off of all this. Yeah, and, and and it's crazy how much money, like if you do your research of how much money these people are making, you would be surprised. And you, you would think that that money can go back into helping these people, but it goes into people's pockets who are very selfish. And somebody that's not selfish is our guest today, Ms. Cynthia Santiago, who's gonna educate us more about immigration on the other side of the break. Make sure you stay tuned to the Straight Up Show podcast. I think straight up means to be able to speak in a way that is straight up, to be honest and to speak your truth. Raw, uncut, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's blunt, you know, straight to the point, this is what it is. It's just a place to be open and honest. And that's what I appreciate most about it. And it provides a place for community members to come together and just be straight up with each other about things that are going on in the world because it affects all of us. Uh, unfiltered, raw, with all the cursing that Calvin does. Straight up is just being real, telling it, telling it like it is, you know, um, being you. Being solid, being who you are, no matter what it is, no matter what situation you're faced with, right? This is who you are. It really, it really speaks to me saying it is what it is and it ain't what it is, straight up. Years ago, my family had a scare when we thought my mom had breast cancer. It was painful to see her go through all the testing and witnessing her be just as scared. Fortunately, she did not have breast cancer, but millions of women and men aren't as lucky. So we here at Straight Up are supporting and standing with those who are battling and have survived breast cancer with our official breast cancer awareness merchandise. Just visit our website, straightupshowpodcast.com, and get yours today. All proceeds will be donated to local breast cancer foundations. So we encourage you not only to get educated, but join us as we stand straight up to breast cancer. All right, welcome back to the Strive Show podcast. This, today we have my wonderful friend. Uh, I'm going to butcher it again. My Spanish is bad today. So, uh, Abogada. Kind of like avocado. Yeah. Abogada. 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 Not abogado because abogado is male masculine. So, abogada. Because our guest today is Cynthia Santiago, attorney. Uh, she is an immigration attorney and personal injury attorney as well. Uh, once again, thank you so much for coming on our show today. Thank you. I'm always excited to learn. I mean, to teach, to learn, to I'll do all that, you know, with the, the platforms. It's always good to reach people that don't necessarily um, 
have access to an attorney. Yeah. And, and what, when we came on our show last time and I posted it and uh, I didn't know that a lot of my friends uh, and their families that I've known for a while, they were undocumented and I didn't know that. And they had so many questions about what to do and kind of what to do next. And uh, most of our audience is kind of like kind of 18 ish and kind of come in early thirties, but uh, some of these people, they may or may not have DACA. And that is one of the big focal points of immigration. Can you explain what exactly is DACA, D-A-C-A? What exactly is that? Right. Um, so Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. It was a program that under the Obama administration in 2012, it was announced that if you were um, a person that entered the United States before your 16th birthday, and you had grown up here from 2007 to the present time, you didn't have a serious criminal record, you know, you could have a misdemeanor for, you know, petty theft, but you couldn't have a DUI, domestic violence, um, things related to guns. So you, you couldn't have any involvement with organizations, terrorism, gangs, and um, that you could prove that you were um, either enrolled in school or graduated from um, high school, high school, then you would be able to apply for this protection and it comes with a work permit. And if you also qualify, you could also ask for permission to travel based on a certain humanitarian or educational or work-related reason. So it was an opportunity that opened up to, um, I think the last numbers I saw was close to a million folks where like 800,000 upwards of those numbers were able to benefit from this program. Then there's been controversy over the time when the Trump administration came and they wanted to shut it down. And then it's gone through the court systems and the district courts. And so in Texas right now, it's in the hands of Texas, what this judge is going to do with the future of it. And unfortunately, it hasn't been looking very bright. Yeah, and that's something I was gonna ask you about, like since we talked about this, there's a lot, because uh, I think we had you on the show during, uh, right when the new administration got in office and uh, you talked about your kind of questionable uh, things that were said during the administration. Do you think that this, since we've talked last time, has the current eminent and in, 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 in immigration overall, have you seen any progression in the immigration status uh, when it comes to this uh, administration? So I'm always, always, always going to be critical. I'm always, because if the moment you start being complacent about the situation, about the politics of immigration, then we start losing what it is that we're fighting for. So with that being said, um, there hasn't been a significant change in any of the um, laws because that's what Congress does. And every time that something was presented in the House and, you know, with Congress, and it just it just withers down. It gets a different version. It doesn't pass. It just doesn't go through. And and we don't have a significant change to help the millions of people that are here in this in the United States undocumented. But in my day to day interactions with folks that are facing deportation, 
that those individuals will be like, thank goodness of this administration, because now they're out of deportation court. They're no longer facing imminent deportation. They get to go back to be with their family. They, they're not fighting the system as hard as they were in the previous administration. Um, in terms of, um, again, the laws and programs and if things got easier or not, it, I don't see a significant change or something that has, um, you know, allowed many people to get status. But I do think that the people that were vulnerable and facing deportation will say that they're thankful that for many of them, not all of them, but many of them, they're able to get out of deportation court. This is like a straight up just question that, and this is not in regards to her or me. It's just me just asking a general question. Uh, and and I and most of us, unless we're Americans, and most of us are ignorant to the fact, not as an assault one, but ignorant to the fact of immigration. But as it shows in media, why is there so much focus when it comes to immigration? Why is there so much focus on the Mexico border compared to the Florida border, the, the border or that kind of area over there uh, on the East Coast? Because you, you you don't ever hear about Canadian immigration or like, you know, stuff like their illegal immigration. It's always a heavy focus on the Mexico border, border in California, New Mexico, uh, Texas. Like, why is it such a heavy emphasis on that in America? I mean, race matters. Race, um, the, the folks that are coming from the South are tend to be brown, black folks, and it just really, it really um, is going to be a, always an issue in this country where um, the way that immigration or people view immigration is so unfair and unjust. Um, if somebody comes into the United States with a visa, they were given a visa to come to the United States, and they stay here after that visa has expired and they don't leave the country and they violate that visa, that is not looked as harshly as someone who jumps the border, goes to present themselves at the border, gets arrested, detained at the border. And that's always been my struggle with this is that there are individuals that do stay in the country passing their visa time. That is like something that they were not authorized to do yet we don't hear about those numbers as much as we hear about people that are you know going to the border and saying hey i'm here i'm trying to get into your country because i'm fleeing this issue and you know they're looked at in such a different way criminally so i i think that you know obviously race matters and where people are coming from socioeconomic levels you cannot get a visa if you can't prove that you have finances to support yourself on that trip to the United States. And so those are things that we don't talk enough about. Like, and this, and, and, and stay with me on this, okay? Cause I'm about to, I may, I may lose some of y'all with this saying this, but since all this stuff been happening with mass shooters and stuff like that, and like people who are shooting, they said that they want to have more therapists go with cops on some of these riding runs, right? With that same kind of scenario, do you think, and this is me just thinking, would it be wiser to have more uh, lawyers at the border so that they can kind of communicate with them and tell them, hey, before you cross over, think about what you're doing. So they don't have to engage of their kids being locked in cages or uh, them just being arrested for no reason without 
both sides not understanding what's going on like do you think that would be like a a good solution at all or what do you think i i recently just had this conversation because i um sadly had to visit someone who um has a claim for asylum under his parents case but because of so many reasons I can't explain that in you know sometimes parents don't like to tell their kids straight up what's happening on certain issues um that the the child the adult child then didn't know what the claim really was what's going on and um, basically was going to get deported because he couldn't communicate anything that was a viable issue. And we were having this conversation about, you know, yes, there are people that may have a very weak claim and this shouldn't be like their, you know, their claim doesn't really fall under certain categories and whatnot of asylum law. But there are people that just you know, either their upbringing, their parents shielding them from information, their education level, their language access barriers. There are individuals that need to be able to talk to an attorney and explain what's happening so that they can be better prepared to what they're going to be asked, what they're going to have to express themselves. Does that make sense? So it's just, there's, um, there's definitely a need. I've worked with a lot of organizations. There's great organizations. I would shout out to Al Otro Lado is one of those organizations that I have gone down to the border to support and volunteer with. Um, and we basically talk to people. This is asylum law. This is the one, two, three of a you know of asylum law, and this is what happens when. Um, you're detained and you have an interview and you have this going on, you know, just because people um, are so confused, people have lack of access and they just hear rumors and they don't know exactly what to do in the type of scenario they're in. Um, so, yes, I think that that is strongly needed. Um, not sure if we mentioned in the prior show, but immigration lawyers are um, not afforded to you as if you were in a criminal proceedings, you get an attorney to represent you. Immig uh, immigrants that are in uh, custody, detained for immigration um, case, they don't get afforded an attorney. There are wonderful pro bono organizations, but the amount of numbers to compare them with, it's very, you know, they can't give their assistance to everybody. So, um, you know, that's been in the talks and the works of whether a person should be afforded an attorney. And let's kind of define this right quick. And I got two questions and then we go to a break. But for those who do not know, uh, when it comes to defining it, what exactly does it mean to seek asylum when it comes to immigration? Right. So the person is leaving their home country. They're not able to establish themselves in another country that is safe. They're not able to remain in their country in any part of the country that's um, safe for them. Um, they have been persecuted. And typically the areas of persecution are either race because of their um, gender, their religion, their um, uh, orientation. And there, then there's like this other group of particular social group 
And so then, then there's um, lots of laws that define their political opinion. And that person is unable to get support from their government. So if I'm in a country and I'm being persecuted because um, I'm a woman and and I try to get assistance from the government to protect me and they're unable and willing, they just, you know, they will um, not do that, then I um, have certain grounds to be able to, you know, flee my country and request asylum or seek asylum. When it comes to like, and you mentioned it already, like, that it is kind of like, and, and we know our families, how our families can be like, especially you and I, but like the rumors, you know, and going off word of mouth. Like, do you think that's a lot of what's happening right now? And when it comes to immigration, coming to America, that so many people who want to come in here are just going off hearsay and not actually understanding it. But yeah, I mean, I also think it happens to the millions that are already in the country, not just the asylum seekers, but the millions that are in the country that that are here for 10, 20 years and they've never been able to pursue their immigration papers or status. A lot of it has to do with this access, right? And so uh, people go off of what their cousin's case looked like, what their you know neighbor's case, I heard this person's case, I heard this one, and they never speak to you know an attorney. And then a lot of times they speak to a notary. You know, notaries are not licensed to be attorneys, and you know they they're common in the Latino community that there's a notary, notarios, and they go to this person who's not an attorney and try to get advice from this person and, you know, end up filing something they shouldn't be filing. Or they'll end up with um, this, you know, firm that continues to advertise themselves over the radio, the TV, in a very shady way where they don't explain the law, where they're just saying, I can fix for everybody or I can fix and you don't have to leave the country. And they just do these um, flashy, you know, sound bites to get people to call them. Um, so we suffer from that issue that um, unfortunately people hear immigration rules or laws through people they know or through unscrupulous people. And so our work is always to educate I, I most of the time when I'm doing community events or I'm doing my pop-up legal events throughout the country, I'm most of the time I'm telling people straight up what their case looks like. And I say, you, I'm not here to, to sell you something that is not there. I'm going to tell you what it is so that you can leave here and feel educated about your case. Without, without giving away too much, like what's something that you have to often educate them with some of the harsh realities that you have to give to certain clients. So one of them would be um, a person that came in 20 years ago, for example, and they're, they've been here, they've paid their taxes, they work hard, they don't have criminal records, they just, and they've always remained in this country. They've did just trying to build a future. And then their child who was born here, um, at some point they have a child or whatnot, and they're born here their child turns 21 years old and they're like, I'm ready to file my petition. I'm ready to file my petition to get my status because now I have a U.S. citizen child over the age of 21 that can petition for me. 
and then I have to break it. Do you have a waiver available? Because from the time you entered, you've accumulated unlawful presence. And all these years that you've lived here, you one have to leave the country to fix your status, but then you have to stay for 10 years outside of the country. Unless we find some, you know, different scenario and something that will let them stay here and fix their status here. There's a petition, there's a victim of a crime, there's something out there. But in most cases, when a person just, you know, came and they had children here, They've never left, but their parents are not citizens, their spouses are not citizens or residents. They are subject to having to leave the country for 10 years and not being able to return after those 10 years have elapsed. And that is the hardest part of my job is to be able to um, to tell somebody like, I empathize and I hear everything you are you've done, and I'm yours. This is great what you've done with your life, but the laws do not permit this to happen. And it's, you know, that this is what it looks like. And, and I think about, and but I, I've lived and been around most, both of the communities. One thing about both of our communities is that we're resilient. We, we never give up and that we may do what we have. But in, like you said, in reality, the harsh reality is that we have to do things the right way. And I've never been, my family has been here, you know, our whole life. Uh, and of course, we know about slavery and stuff like that. But how difficult is it just to ignore what your advice you just gave about the harsh realities of going back 10 years, but, and just basically saying, forget it. If I get caught, I get caught. How difficult is it just to like disregard like that kind of information and just live your life and just kind of be careful? Because there's so many people who just don't think that they would get caught up or uh, stuff like that. Like how difficult it is just to have that mindset, just to always watch your back and, you know, try to just hide out and stuff like that. I think it's um, very hard, hard to tell somebody like they have to continue to wait for this law to change. Like telling somebody, I don't know when the laws are ever going to change. It's really, sorry it's really um difficult because then people are like well do you think that in the future I'll qualify for something and I'm like I don't even know what it looks like I don't even know what this would look like wow I can imagine having to go through that uh we're gonna have a little bit more with Cynthia Santiago attorney immigration attorney on the other side of the break make sure you stay tuned to the straight up show podcast votación es un derecho un privilegio y una responsabilidad. Muchos han hecho el máximo sacrificio solo para que podamos tener la capacidad de votar sobre lo que creemos que es mejor para nosotros y nuestra comunidad. Así que aquí en Straight Up te pedimos que investigues, deja que tu voz sea escuchado y que estés orgulloso de decir, I straight up votó. Hey, hey, welcome to a brand new episode of the Straight Up Show podcast. I am your host, Calvin. 
and it provides a place for community members to come together and just be straight up with each other. There's only one rule to our show. You gotta be. I'm Sultan Salahuddin from Southside Season 2 out right now. Make sure you tune in to the Straight Up Show podcast because that's where it's happening. All right, welcome back to the Straight Up Show podcast. I'm your host, Calvin. Joined today with my my lovely friend, my hardworking friend, uh, attorney is Cynthia Santiago Obigala, right? Obigala, yeah. Obigala. Mm-hmm. I keep messing it up. Like, look, I, my Spanish has been rusty lately. I'm, I'm trying my best to get it back, but I've been practicing. I've been practicing my Spanish. I've been doing pretty good. But, uh, but she's here today to talk about some uh immigration laws and what's going on with immigration as it is today uh i I talked to her on the outside of the show about uh personal friends of mine especially one in particular that uh they have a kid together uh the the dad's originally from mexico uh he was here undocumented and he committed a crime now he has to be in mexico and he can't take care of his son uh which is kind of heartbreaking if you hear it but as someone that kind of knows them in the situation I'm pretty sure there are other families that go through this. And then you had a specific term about people that commit crimes when it comes to immigration. Uh, can you tell us about that a little bit, please? Well, it's it's the niche area. So this area is the mix of criminal and immigration law, and it's known as crimigration. Super important if you ever meet somebody or know somebody, a family member or friends, have um, either no status or they're legal permanent residents, so they're not yet citizens, um, have some type of like a visa or or whatnot, that if they have that, like if they're not citizens, that they need an attorney that's going to know the immigration consequences of their case, of their criminal case, if they're ever arrested. So if they are arrested, then are they able to like, come back at all or they have to wait for a while what's the status so of that? it really de- it really depends what the crime is right and so there's um situations where the person's crime is deemed an aggravated felony it's the worst type of felony it's not not that the crime specifically will ever say aggravated felony but the way that the immigration law works is that they look at the federal codes that they've created for immigration law, what falls under aggravated felonies, <clears throat> sorry, it might throw this a little bit down, but um, what falls under immigration categories of aggravated felonies. And then they compare the state code to it. Okay, so, all right, that's, uh, it really depends on the crime. That's like, and my heart goes out to people that actually they they have to go through all this because a lot of people don't understand because I used to work for the government. I did. And I used to work for the USCIS. And I'm proud to say that. But uh, so I understand a lot of what she's saying right now. But when it comes to this, uh, Cynthia, um, 
what are some of the biggest misconceptions that a lot of people who are seeking asylum or seeking to come to the country, what, what are some that you see right now, some common misconceptions that people, especially who are Americans or who are part of this country uh, that go through? Uh, about asylum seekers or about just about immigration in total or just uh, overall immigration in total um one of the biggest misconceptions is that there's a line and you just wait in line and then you'll have papers you know at some point when the line gets to your case the the reality is that if <clears throat> i'm a citizen and i have a brother or sister that's not a citizen and I'm from Mexico, then I petition for them. They're not going to see a visa for 20 to 25 years from that petition date because there's something that was created with immigration that makes a cap. So countries like China, Mexico, they have to wait under this cap. And then other countries have a different wait time. Um, so that <clears throat> that could be like something that I think people have a really hard time understanding that there's no imaginary line that's going to get you papers in, you know, a year or less than that. It has to be through a process for most people. Now, I mentioned to you before, like if you came in on a visa and then you marry a U.S. citizen, you're like the fast track. Some people get papers in nine months from that kind of situation. So it's a very um, a very convoluted system of like who gets preference and who doesn't. If you had a message to those who are outside of the country that want to come into the country, what would be your your message to them right now if they're watching this? What would you say to those who are not in the country but they're trying to come as right right now? Right. Um, that we have um, a system that continues and continues to get <clears throat> more difficult for people who are trying to seek um, refuge or seek a better, safe place. And this system doesn't understand the process of like wanting a better opportunity or wanting something better for your children. It doesn't see it that way. It, it sees it in, do you have these boxes marked off? And if you don't, then good, you know, goodbye. And so I think that is um, the difficulty about immigration law is that people understood it like, you know, Ellis Island, like people coming because they wanted better opportunity. And it's not like that anymore. And so um, with terms of like the people that are, are going to present themselves, like you, you are treated not very nicely and you are put into a facility, you're having to wait, you may see an officer, you may not, you may be released. But when you're released, you're going to be at an immigration center where they're going to put an ankle monitor on you, or you're going to have a cell phone, you have to check in. Um, and obviously, there's going to be people that say, well, then how do you keep track of someone that came in and blah, blah, blah. But, but what I'm trying to say is that it's continually getting to a point where it's a lot 
more inhumane or harsher than you know it used to look like. Now, with that being said, what would you say to those who are currently in the United States, uh, but they are undocumented and they're kind of somewhat in hiding? Or what would you say to them when it comes to immigration? For the individuals that have been living in the United States, I always encourage them, people who um, get a get a good recommendation for someone who's ethical, who's someone who's trustworthy in the community, honest, have a good reputation. So I always get uh, calls from folks that are like, I went to see this attorney and then I Google the person and I see the reviews and it's like, this person took thousands of dollars from me, this person, you know, I haven't heard from this person in two years, whatnot. So just be mindful that, you know, when you're looking for an attorney, you want someone with good reputation. Yes, there's going to be like some bad reviews on people, but what does the reviews really say about them as an attorney? And I think that um, getting a consultation to know where you stand, where do you stand right now in this immigration process? Do you have a petition available to you? Have you been a victim of a crime? Do you have, um, you know, a child in the military that you can try to fast track? Do you have crimes that you need to go take care of before you apply for something? So it's always an awareness. Where do I stand in the whole immigration process? And knowing where you stand will take you further so much more, you know, I've met people that never knew they qualified for something and they had been qualified for something for 10 years and they never knew they qualified for it. And I've also met people that I'm probably the fourth or fifth attorney that's telling them the same thing. You don't really have a case. You don't have a case right now. Just wait it out. And I tell them, be careful. You're going to find somebody out there that's going to say you have a case, pay me thousands of dollars, and they're going to file something that you shouldn't apply for. Wow. So it goes both ways. Woo. y'all i couldn't imagine like you see how busy she is she is she is and once again i want to thank you so much for coming on this podcast because not only are you dropping so many gems to the community but you know you 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 have a busy schedule you're just doing so much for the community and y'all see why we had her on the show because she's giving knowledge for you all to progress in life and to do this right and like one thing that cynthia says is that that this system is flawed and it's not made for people to win, to get a better life in the community. Uh, my last question to you is, since you've worked this system for so long, over 10 years, and that you've been doing this from the ground up, in your personal opinion, what's a way that this system can be better and more understanding? Because it's kind of like, I look at immigration, I look at voting. People do it because they don't understand it you know, but they still want us to do it. So with this system being so flawed and it's not really making sense a lot to the common people, what do you think can be fixed or done better so that it can be better for people trying to get a better life in this country? I mean, what steps can we take um, is one thing that I was thinking when you're asking this is what steps can we take as a community? And I would say is to be more vocal, be out there, speak to your representatives because they need to hear the stories, right? They need to hear about the immigrant 
families that are in this country, sustaining the country and what, you know, what uh, it looks like to be in a mixed household, for example. They need to know about that. Or your friend, right? Her partner made a mistake and they need to hear about like why some states have laws that are harsher than other states and, and why immigration isn't, um, you know, isn't that uh, able to understand that there was a mistake 15, 20 years ago. Um, I think that it's important for these people in power to hear those stories. Otherwise, they just, they start to pit, you know, uh, good immigrant, bad immigrant stories, or they start to concede, okay, we're only going to help the ones that, the, the, the folks that were brought in as children, but who cares about their parents? And you'll hear DACA recipients out here pushing, what about our parents? They're the original dreamers. Um, you know, what about them? Can we legalize our parents too? So I think that um, it's important for people in power to understand the stories, to hear the voices, to, to um, you know, really get that message across. I know it's scary. I know it's frightening to, you know, come out of the shadows, but it is something that um, has helped in the, the movement. Um, I think that we should always be, you know, looking for the representatives that are going to push these laws to change. Um, and, you know, if your family member that's undocumented is too afraid or they're unable, they don't have the means to go out there and protest when it's, you know, the day of um, the day without immigrants protest or whatever protest is going on for immigrant rights, then, then we should be out there. We should step up for them. That, that is so true. That is so true. And, and, you know, on this show, we preach voting, how important it is to vote, because even though you're voting for somebody else too, to help you, to help them out. So uh, your vote does matter and uh, make sure you give back to the community because you play a vital part, not only to the community inside this country, but outside the country as well, because they want a better place to live just like us. So uh, Cynthia Santiago, attorney, criminal attorney, immigration attorney, thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us so much knowledge today. Thank you. Thank and you. before you leave, can you give us how people can reach you or talk to you and maybe get a consultation from you? Yeah, so I am on Instagram and Facebook under Abogada Santiago. Um, most of the time you go on the page, it'll have a link to a calendar for booking a consult. All my consults are done over the phone remotely so that we could um, be able to reach people coast to coast. Um, I speak fluent Spanish, so I'm always, you know, whenever I do a consult and the, the individual is a Spanish speaker, then they're hearing the information directly from me and not my assistants or whatnot. So um, also I have a van and I was going to take out a picture of it and it goes, um, around the United States and we do pop-up events. So if you follow me, sometimes you'll you'll be able to see where I'm at next. Um, and I just really thank you for, you know, shedding light on this issue. I, I feel like we have such a huge responsibility for the community um, to be able to 
to educate folks and to give them access to attorneys. When I do community events, I'm speaking to hundreds and hundreds of people a year because I'm doing so many community events where I'm in places where they don't see attorneys often or people will be surprised. Like there's never been an attorney that came here before. And, you know, I, I don't have a problem being where my people are at, where the community is at, where people that had the same struggles as me are at. Um, but I think that it's also a call for other people, other attorneys or other professionals to be where the people are at, give them access to those privileges. Um, you know, there's time and place when I do community events, I'm, I'm doing work within the community. And then, you know, I also have a balance of my kids and my family. So there's also, you know, the private one-on-one -on -one consultations. Those are, you know, something that I also have a service. I'm a professional. I have a, a solo practice. I'm a, a entrepreneur. I've um, built my firm from the ground up, you know, and we, thankfully, my husband and I have um, been able to help a lot of people throughout the way. I'm smiling because Cynthia, I've known you for a minute now, and I'm 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 proud of you. Thank like, you. I am so proud of you because I y'all. Let me tell y'all, Cynthia's from the neighborhood. That's why like I, I resonate with her because she's from the neighborhood, and like to see her shine and see her story, like she she is Latina, not Latina, Latina, and I love how you said that, and because. Yeah, I, I gotta brag about her because she is a mom, she's a wife, she does all this. But if you follow her, and we're gonna have all information on the ticker, and if you want, if you're listening, we'll have it on the show's description as well. But uh, we'll have all her information where you can reach her. But when you follow her, you have to see the hard work she puts into her community. I've never seen anybody on this show that works as hard as Cynthia does. And so, with that being said, I'm truly blessed to have you as a friend, uh, as a sister. Uh, as somebody that I look up to kind of help to burn me to make sure I, I stay on top of my game of helping people out. Uh, so I want to thank you once again. I love you for being on the show. Uh, keep doing it because you are making a difference and we want to celebrate you and give you your flowers right now. Thank you. Thank you. And so that's the end of our show. We want you to continue the conversation. Don't stop today. Go to our website, uh, straightupshowpodcast.com. That's S-T-R number eight upshowpodcast.com. Go look at Cynthia's previous episode that she talked about immigration and go more about different laws and stuff like that. And follow her on social media. The conversation does not have to start. Stop today. Uh, if you want to support our podcast, make sure you go to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash straightupshowpodcast318. That's patreon.com forward slash straightupshowpodcast318. Until then, there's only one rule to our show. You gotta be straight up. All right, see y'all next time. <laughs> <laughs>